This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This could be the busiest shopping weekend of the year. Between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, consumerism reigns supreme. But in just a few days, it'll be a different story. Giving Tuesday has taken off as a day centered on charity. And this December, Canadians are expected to give over $5 billion. Today, I'll be joined by Stephen Fall from Imagine Canada. And continuing with the giving spirit, this week 21 seniors were honoured by the Ontario government for their contributions as volunteers. Today we'll talk with Richard Moore, who has worked extensively to make health care safe, accepting and accessible for the LGBT community. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Here's good news for Zoomers with children or grandchildren in the GTA. Toronto has been ranked the best economy in the world for young people. The ranking comes from a survey done by the Economist Intelligence Unit. It looked at things like employment and growth statistics, strength of government programs, educational institutions and entrepreneurial opportunities for people aged 18 to 25. Toronto took the top spot beating global hubs like London, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Beauty contests can be controversial, and this one took that to a whole new level. In Haifa this week, 13 women strutted their stuff down a runway to the strains of Madonna's Vogue, in the third annual Holocaust Survivors Beauty Pageant. It honors women who lived through the concentration camps and death marches of Nazi Germany. The women all enjoyed themselves, but the event has drawn heavy criticism for appearing to cheapen the memory of those who lost their lives during the Holocaust. Organizers say the contest is about recognition and respect rather than beauty. No matter how big or small, illegal gambling is just that, illegal. That's what a group of Florida retirees have learned since police busted their weekly mahjong game in their condominium complex. The accused are four women between the ages of 87 and 95. According to the women, they were ratted out by a local troublemaker in their community. After the police bust, condo management followed up with a formal notice that there will be no further mahjong, bingo, or poker playing in the condo common areas until further notice. The women were playing with a $4 limit. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly 
And finally, consider this the ultimate gift for any fan of the Fab Four. 47 years after its release, the first copy of the Beatles' White Album is going to be auctioned off. When it was first released in 1968, each copy of the White Album came stamped with a serial number on the cover. In the years that have followed, many collectors have searched for the rare early numbers. On December 4th, copy number one will be sold at Julian's of Beverly Hills, which specializes in celebrity memorabilia. For a long time, it's been thought that John Lennon received the first copy of the famous album, but it turns out Ringo Starr has had it all these years, locked away safely in a bank vault. It's expected to fetch up to $60,000. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This Tuesday marks Giving Tuesday, the official start to the giving season. It's time to get behind your favorite causes, and between now and the end of the year, most Canadian adults will be making donations that add up to $5 billion. That's 40% of what charities take in for the entire year. You may be giving because you're personally affected by the cause or out of compassion for those in need. Whatever your motivation, you want to make sure your gift is meaningful and has a positive impact. I sat down with Stephen Fall of Imagine Canada, a national organization whose cause is Canada's charities. Donations are relatively flat over the past few years. We know that the number of donors continues to go down a little bit, Mm -hmm. but the average gift continues to go up. We don't know all the reasons for that. We know that in difficult economic times, and I think we saw this particularly starting in about 2008, uh, people tend to give to an extent based on their disposable income. If there's a threat to that income, then they may give a little less. What is the average donation and how many uh, different charities do people usually give to? People we talk to tend to concentrate on maybe three or four charities. In terms of your average donation, I do have some information on that by age. You'd be happy to know probably that uh, boomers... Zoomers. Zoomers, boomers (laughs) actually give quite a bit more than their counterparts, either... Uh, particularly people who were born after that. There was a survey by the government a while ago which revealed that 33% of the survey respondents were Zoomers. But the value of the donations that they gave were 44% of the total. So they're certainly giving above their weight. Now, if you're asking for the average donation for people who are earlier, younger than than the Zoomer generation, it's about $350. If you look at the Zoomers, it's about $660. Do you see it like a budget that that you should sit down and decide how much you're going to give to charity overall and, and what percentage of your income that should represent? Well, we don't have a dollar amount or a percentage in mind, but we do think the idea of a strategy is key. When we talk to people, they often tell us, well, I gave because someone asked. And we think, well, that's fantastic. I'm good for you for responding to a donation. However, we think it might be more meaningful, more engaging for people if they sat down and thought about, what do I care about? What are my passions? And maybe there's an organization out there that really aligns nicely with what I'm interested in. And then make a plan to make your giving that way. I mean, I would imagine it's a, it's a mix of who's asking 
and um, an organization that really aligns with your passions and if you're picking two or three or four? I think there is a mix. I think you're right. We do notice, though, particularly with boomers, that there's a couple of things we know they're interested in. There's, there's health care followed by social services, followed by religious organizations, then hospitals and education, and uh, finally research. What are your other suggestions for people figuring out where they want to put their charitable dollars? Well, along with, with you know, aligning with your passion, we suggest modeling your giving for others. When we ask people, um, how did you happen to start giving to charity? An awful lot of them say, well, you know, I saw my mom and dad do it or maybe my grandfather or grandmother. Uh, some of this happened in a place of worship and some of it outside. So make sure that your children or grandkids, for example, are in the loop about why you think this is important. That brings uh, to mind, this is an interesting question that when you, right now, a lot of donations are done online. And when you make an online donation, they ask you, first of all, if they can use your name, and second of all, if they can show the amount that you gave. Uh, does disclosing those things serve as an example to others? We're looking at, right now, we don't have the final answers, but what really motivates people to give? And is there a role for peer pressure, for example? Or is there a, is there a calculator You bet there, there is. <laughs> is there a, so, so do you have a story to share about that? Well, no, it, it's just... Uh, I mean, I've raised money for causes my friends do, and uh, it depends who's asking. And if your friend makes a donation to you, you can you can be sure that you're going to have to pay that money back when when they're supporting something. And to me, you know that that's fair enough. I think we see that sometimes in workplace campaigns where someone will say. Uh, I'm going to set the tone here for this office, so I want everyone to know I've I've given a thousand dollars to this cause, and then the idea is that other people might say, "Oh well, I guess that's a good amount to give." When we talk to people, we we do know they don't always know what, what what's the right amount. Is is there a magic amount? Is there a percent? And we don't have the answer to that yet. But we we are looking at how to advise people while reminding remembering that it is a, a personal decision. You also say, be flexible about donation amounts. What does that mean? Well, I think that's a polite way of saying be generous. <laughs> I think we talked about off the top that donations are relatively flat. But if you ask any charity or nonprofit, are the needs you're addressing flat or diminishing? They will look at you with some astonishment and say, no, of course not. What we learn in talking to people is they start giving um, when they start having some disposable income. In some cases, that giving grows, but sometimes the giving kind of stays the same. So you might be giving the same uh, when you're at $50,000 a year as you did at 20000 as you will at 250000 So our, our advice is remember to be generous. And if you have more disposable income, when you make your giving strategy, remember charities. Okay, and, and if you get a raise, your charities should get a raise too. I think that's a fantastic idea. Okay, Stephen Fall, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Stephen Fall of Imagine Canada. Remember, this Tuesday will be Giving Tuesday. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, the Ontario government honoured a number of seniors who have volunteered and given back to their communities. Richard Moore was among them, and in just a moment, he'll join me to talk about his work towards making ageing as a member of the LGBT community a little easier. 
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Donating money, of course, is not the only way to support a cause. Volunteering your time and energy makes a huge difference. Collectively, Canadians donate two billion hours of volunteer time a year, and not surprisingly, Zoomers contribute the most time. As I cross this province, I'm overwhelmed by those of you of a certain age who are so vital, energetic, and alive in your communities. You have skills, you have real-life experience, and often a maturity of judgment that are so valuable. This past Thursday, the Ontario Senior Achievement Awards honoured 21 Zoomers for outstanding contributions to their communities. One of the winners is Dick Moore of Port Colborne. He's a longtime leader and advocate for the growing community of LGBT seniors and their unique needs and challenges in the healthcare system. We talked after he received the award. I felt it was important that the work that I do be acknowledged and, uh, and that hopefully such an award would um, encourage others to continue the work. I've worked both in the long-term care sector, nursing homes, as well as the community care sector to develop toolkits that organizations can use uh, in terms of uh, becoming accessible and friendly places for older LGBT people to receive care. Okay, what are, what are the issues? A lot of gay and lesbian people, not just older ones, but everybody has had typically negative experiences with the health care system, uh, dealing with doctors, nurses, uh, therapists of various kind, health care professionals who've had no training or sensitivity training or awareness or or even uh, training regarding health conditions that typically affect older LGBT people, or they're uncomfortable with them, or they dislike them, whatever. From what I've understood from from friends of mine, the the issue is also having your partner uh, or your loved one recognized. That's correct. It's also involved in if a partner is in long-term care, that that person's partner be involved in care planning and in, uh, you know, being part of the decision-making process. So it's access when you're in hospitals, like if you're in an intensive care unit, to get access to the intensive care unit, which, as you say, people are deprived of, are you a relative? Well, not exactly, no. Well, then you can't go in. If they get sick enough to need long-term care, they feel like they might have to go back in the closet if they've been out in order to receive respectful care in a long-term care facility or to be accepted by other residents or to be treated respectfully by families of other residents. How can the system regulate that if, if you're dealing with other residents or the families of other I residents? I think training for other residents, I've had the opportunity to train residents in long-term care facilities, and I think many of them are open to it. People assume that older people are more homophobic than younger people, and I, I think that's an ageist assumption. Older people have had children come out. They've had... Uh, uh, friends and and relatives die of AIDS. They've had people transition in their lives. They've had a lot more experience with gay and lesbian issues oftentimes than younger people have. So many of them are quite are, are easy with these issues. Some of them are not, but then some younger people are not either, as we know very well. I mean, from the jokes that you hear around the water cooler and such things, there's still a lot of homophobia. I think as a society, we've certainly come to accept 
LGBT people in general much more than we used to. So where are we at in terms of uh, Zoomers, seniors, older people? I think that in, in the long-term care industry, there's sort of an anti-sexuality uh, uh, ethos that uh, a lot of people that work in long-term care feel, well, they're over that. They shouldn't be interested and they shouldn't, you know. So the, the, op- the notion of privacy rooms where both straight or uh, queer folk uh, could be intimate with one another, uh, a lot of people say, well, they should be over that. There's no, re- there's no reason for that. None of our people are interested in that. But in fact, they don't really know. Um, I think another thing that could be done in terms of is asking people, and, and I understand that in the long-term care facilities in the city of Toronto, they're going to start doing that, of asking people about their sexual orientation and gender identity when they're admitted. This is being done in hospitals in Toronto now, and uh, I think it's a big step forward because then you know. So would you say that the obstacles that still remain, are they a matter of non-acceptance of LGBT people, or is it just ageism? Both. I think what my work is, uh, like uh, the work of others, is the juncture between ageism and, and homophobia. Both those isms affect uh, gay and lesbian older people. Thank you so much, and again, congratulations. Thank you so much. Nice to talk with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Richard Moore, a winner of one of the Ontario Senior Achievement Awards. To nominate a Zoomer in your community, visit citizenship.gov.on.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The man who founded Motown and built a musical empire is celebrating his 86th birthday this weekend. Coming up, we'll return with a tribute to Barry Gordy Jr., You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, the music of Tony Award-winning Steven Sater and Grammy and Academy Award-winning Burt Bacharach is featured in a new play called New York Animals. A cast of four weaves a tapestry of the hysterical and tragic stories of 21 New Yorkers during a long, rainy day in Manhattan. Directed by Eric Tucker, New York Animals is in previews at the New Ohio Theatre. A Florida production of Hello, Dolly! is entering new territory with a man who takes on the iconic lead role made famous by Barbara Streisand and Carol Channing. Hello, Harry, well, hello, Louie, it's so nice to be back home where I belong. Hello, Dolly! is at the Wick Theatre in Boca Raton. In London, England, there's still time to see the Royal Academy's exhibit of works by Chinese artist Ai Weiwei. It includes major pieces spanning Ai Weiwei's career, as well as new work that is shown for the first time. It's on until December 13th. And Singapore has opened its state-of-the-art National Gallery, home to the world's largest public collection of modern art from Southeast Asia. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. 
This week, Barry Gordy Jr. is celebrating his 86th birthday. Gordy is famous for creating the Motown record label, which churned out hit after hit through the 1960s and early 70s. He actually began the label in January of 1959 with an $8,000 loan from his family and at first called it Tamla Records. One of the earliest hits on the Tamla label was Money, which Barry Gordy co-wrote. That gave him enough money to buy 2648 West Grand Boulevard, which he established as Hitsville, USA. It became home to such legendary acts as The Supremes, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Marvin Gaye, Gladys Knight and the Pips, The Commodores, Stevie Wonder, and The Jackson 5. Right now, we'll hear the best-selling Motown single of the 60s, Marvin Gaye's version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine. That was Marvin Gaye with I Heard It Through the Grapevine, the best-selling single from Motown Records. This weekend, Motown founder Barry Gordy Jr. celebrates his 86th birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Next week, Jane Brown will be in the chair with information on how pets can help Zoomers. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.